So Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Christmas ended yesterday. Did you guys know that? <laughs> it did not end on December 26th. Yesterday was the 12th day of Christmas. Today is Epiphany Sunday. Christian feast day that celebrates the revelation of God incarnate through Jesus Christ. In Western Christianity, the feast commemorates principally, but not solely, the visit of the Magi to the Christ child, and thus Jesus' physical manifestation to the Gentiles. If we were doing our nativity scene, those of us that still have them up, uh, we would be putting the Magi in the nativity scene today. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I took my stuff down the Sunday after Christmas because <laughs> I had time, right? But that's why this is still up, and we should have put the Magi in today. But And if you read closely, you will notice that there are not three Magi. There are just Magi. There are three gifts, but we think there are three of them because, you know, that's... Anyway, there could have been a hundred, right? But And, you know, the song, We Three Kings, so we got to get that in there. It's necessary sometimes to separate popular art from what we think really is in Scripture, right? Um, a lot of us sometimes, I know I do, when I think of communion... Um, I get the painting of the Last Supper in my head, and that's not necessarily the way it was, but that's what we think. But anyway, so much for that. This is the third narrative of the birth stories that we get. And uh, so Mark was written first, and then uh, Matthew and Luke, and then John. And the further we get away from the actual event of the birth of Jesus, the more divine Jesus becomes. The earlier Jesus becomes divine, I guess, is the way to put that. Um, there is no nativity scene in the Gospel of Mark. Mark just jumps right in to Jesus' baptism. And then a little later, people are like, well, but what happened when Jesus was a kid, right? And so then Mark and, or Matthew and Luke kind of fill in the story. And they give us a birth narrative. Well, this is where he came from. And in Matthew, we hear about the wise men with their gifts who follow a star to the house of Joseph and Mary, and of course, Herod, who wants to kill Jesus. Luke is an entirely different story, but you wouldn't know that by the nativity because we have shepherds and we have wise men in there. Two different stories squished together. In Luke, which was written 90 to 100 or so, we read that the Emperor Augustus has called for a census causing Mary and Joseph to have to travel home because there's no room in the inn. Jesus is born in a manger. Angels and shepherds come to pay homage in Luke. Very down-to-earth, historical Jesus type stuff. Neither is what we would consider fact. I mean, how can they be when they both tell two different stories? But each one does reveal a bit of the truth about the person of Jesus and the nature of God. So when you read Mark, Jesus becomes, quote, divine at his baptism. In Matthew and Luke, Jesus is divine at birth. But this birth narrative in John is completely different. It's encapsulated in two verses. The first 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in the 14th, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. In John, Jesus is divine from the very beginning of time. So Christology is one of those seminary words. Right? It encapsulates ideas about how Jesus is understood and what the nature of Jesus was and what the nature of God is as revealed in Jesus, what Jesus' life meant, how divine he is. A wide range of questions that to this day people debate and struggle with and wonder about. John has what we call a very high Christology. That is, John speaks of Jesus often with lofty and spiritual terms, with descriptors like God and divine and son of God. A lower Christology speaks of Jesus as a more common way, Messiah, teacher, rabbi, so forth. Not to say that one is right and one is wrong, or that if you believe one way, you can't incorporate ideas of the other way into your belief system. It's simply a way that one views the life and the death of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they write more about the person, right? John is sort of like a cosmic Christ kind of guy. I prefer Mark and Matthew and Luke. He seems grittier, like more of the people than does John's version. I have a seminary friend who describes the Jesus of Mark, Matthew, and Luke as sweaty Jesus. He's the one that's in there, sweating. John's understanding seems to me very lofty and very unattainable, very far removed from my everyday life. I mean, I can see myself following the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but the following of John's Jesus, not so much, not so much. But the real reason that I shied away from the Gospel of John is because it seemed so much more exclusionary than the others. Or at least that's the way that it has been presented. The Gospel of John is one of the most um, metaphorical, but it's the one that we take the most literally. I mean, if someone's going to prove that the only way to Jesus, or the only way to God is through Jesus, they'll quote John 4.16, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without bothering to note that in verse 2, Jesus also says that my Father's mansion has many rooms. Or they'll quote John 3.16, and they'll say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But they won't include verse 17 that says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But the more I learned about John, the more I read about John, the more beautiful the gospel became. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And that last line is one of the lines that sort of cracked the nut for me with this gospel. The word became flesh and lived among us. The opening of the gospel of John 
is a clear parallel to the start of Genesis. In the beginning with the Genesis story, God spoke a word and brought forth the stars and the moon and the planets and the oceans and land and plants and animals and people, the entirety of the world. And according to John, Jesus was there in the beginning, the word that God breathed. For John, Jesus is God with skin on. I sort of imagine it like this. God creates the world, he sets us in charge of it, gives us some guidelines, tells us to go forth and do good. And so over the years, we human beings, in a very real attempt to love and honor and respect and worship God, put these rules and guidelines in place that are supposed to help us become more holy and more clean and more worthy of God. It's sort of like dressing up in our Sunday best or the vestments that we wear, Right? We want to put our best foot forward. We want to demonstrate our reverence for the holy. Of course, human beings being what we are, rather than continuing to use the guidelines to keep ourselves in line, we start to use them to condemn and exclude and make sure that others are behaving. Instead of bringing us closer to God, we started to use those rules to keep people away. So God becomes flesh and lives among us. The Greek word that's used in the text for lived is pronounced skinu. It's a word that writer Jamie Clark calls a lively, elusive verb that means to spread a tent. God spreads a tent right in the middle of where we live and becomes just like us, sets the example models for us how we are to treat one another, to treat our enemies, to treat those that we've cast aside, reminds us how we can be a part of making the kingdom of God here on earth, tells us that we are children of God, shows us how we can be God with skin on to other people. The interpretation in the message is even more illustrative, more intimate. God moves right into the neighborhood. God's not just camping out. God is living right there with us. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? I tell people I don't make them because I know I can't keep them, right? Or I tell them I learned a long time ago that making a resolution is just a way to set myself up for failure, to disappoint myself. I do actually make them, though, in my head, right? I just don't tell anybody about them. I think to myself... I'm going to stop comparing myself to other people. It doesn't matter what they do, or how smart they are, or what they get, or how talented they are, or how many books they publish. What matters is that I ask God to show me how to best use the talents that God has given me. But I know it's all for naught because I do compare myself to people. So rather than commit to something I know I can't do, rather than force myself to change what I think about me because I really can't change that, I'm going to resolve to look at things differently. My New Year's resolution is going to be to look for God in my neighborhood. To see if I can remember that God is the jerk next door who plays his stereo too loud. That God is the woman who wraps up in a scarf and a coat and bundles her child in the same way to walk their big fluffy dog down the street. I'm going to try to remember that God is the overworked, underpaid kid in the fast food joint, that God is the guy hanging out at the loaf of jug parking lot asking for a buck or two, 
That God is the person in front of me with a thousand coupons in the express lane? (laughs) That God is the neighbor on the other side of the street who makes sure that all of the snow is swept off my sidewalk? The scripture ends with this verse. No one has ever seen God. God, the only son, close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. I used to read that to mean that the only person who has ever seen God is Jesus. But I've learned through the years that we too can and have seen God. Jesus is what God looks like, what God does, how God moves, how God acts. What Jesus does, God does. And we can be God with skin on for others too. Maybe the kid in the fast food joint that can't make change can't make change because he's never been taught how. Maybe the guy who needs a few bucks for gas really does need a few bucks for gas. Maybe the person with the thousand coupons is barely making ends meet. Or maybe they're like somebody in this congregation who is a super couponer and gets a lot of stuff for free and gives that stuff away. Or maybe my neighbor plays the stereo too loud because it drowns out the voices in his head. Or maybe because the song just makes him feel really good. John reminds us that we are children of God. But all who received him, all who believed in him, he gave the power to become the children of God. The message says, whoever did want him, who believed, was also claimed and would do what he said. He made to be their true selves. God makes us to be our true selves. We are all children of God. God has moved into our neighborhood and God's love burns brightly in our hearts with an intensity that no darkness can overcome. Sometimes we need to be that light for others. Sometimes we need to be God with skin on. Amen.